Hello, my name is Matthew. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 through 17. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. He was terrified and thought, this sacred place is awesome. It's none other than God's house and the entrance to heaven. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Randy Lynn, and this is Rhett, and the New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. And since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead came through one too. In the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so also everyone will be given life in Christ. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Tracy, and if you're able, please stand for the gospel reading. Today it's going to be found in John chapter 20, verses 11 and 15 through 16. Mary stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The God who spoke all life into, be into being in the very beginning and then came and inhabited the earth. Would you speak to us today? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see your presence at work among us? Would you give us minds to understand, even just in part, the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the grace, the power, the hope of the resurrection? And would you come into our lives? Would you reach down into our very souls, into the places that feel dismayed, the places where we feel hopeless and stuck and lost and confused and hurt and broken and abandoned and rejected in all of the places that we need to be knit back together. Spirit of God, would you come and make us whole again? In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. I love doing that. We're just going to keep doing that through all of Easter. And at any point in the sermon, if it starts to really lag, then I'll just do that as well, just to, you know, feel a little bit better from there. My name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life downtown. And as Pastor Jay said earlier, on behalf of our entire congregation, if you are new or newer, if you're visiting, if you're coming back, if you're here because you heard about us on Instagram or because someone at your house or your work or your neighborhood invited you, 
welcome. We are so absolutely delighted that you're here to celebrate Easter Sunday with us. If you're watching at home, online, unable to join us today, we love you, we miss you, we see you, and we celebrate Easter with you today as well. Easter is my absolute favorite Sunday. It's kind of part of the job description to like Sundays. It's like, you don't get into this career without going like, yes, Sundays are awesome. But Easter is just the highlight of the whole thing. And that's not just because everybody gets all dressed up. Some of you are wearing collared shirts for the first time in a year. Well done. Well, there's, there's a few of us, a few of them on staff. They're like, yeah, that's it, just today. Easter and Christmas Eve. Thank you for like just like taking part in that aspect of coming and saying like, yes, this is the day we want to celebrate. But it's a day that we dress up. It's a day that we party. It's a day that we eat donuts and we take photographs and we do all of those things. But more importantly, Easter is the most significant Sunday for Christians. It is the most significant Sunday for us. Every other Sunday actually just looks back on this one. Every other Sunday is a mini Easter. It's a way of reminding ourselves, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We are gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just the most significant Sunday of the year. It is the most significant moment in history where Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, broke through death. Jesus was raised again to new life, and everything is different because of this. Actually, at the very center of Christianity, the center of our faith is the belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died. He really died. He wasn't just pretending to die. It wasn't just that he took a really long nap for a few days. Jesus really died. And he was buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose again. And resurrection is everything to us. Resurrection is so central to the Christian faith that in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, if there is no resurrection, then our faith is useless. And we should be pitied more than everyone. Why would he say that? Why would he say something that stark? It's because everything that we believe, everything that we believe about God, everything we believe about the world, everything we believe about the church, everything we believe about ourselves and about one another, everything we believe about the world to come is held together by our belief in the resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And we are Easter people. That is who we are across time and across space, all around the globe, throughout history, past, and that is yet to come. We are, as the people of God, Easter people. And so the gospel accounts tell us so much about the resurrection. They recount for us all of these moments of Jesus' resurrection focused really on two major things. They're focused on the empty tomb and then in his numerous post-resurrection appearances to other people that Jesus, in his bodily resurrection, then starts showing up on the scene in people's lives. And these stories are wonderful and they're strange. They're about as odd as any that we find in the scriptures. And we're going to look at two of those post-resurrection sightings today and ask ourselves what they might teach us about Jesus and our life with him. 
So the first one comes in Luke chapter 24, where we find two followers of Jesus, one named Cleopas, and the other one is just referred to as his companion, and maybe his wife Mary, and maybe another disciple, but they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're on this slow walk to a tiny village called Emmaus, and here they find themselves in deep and utter despair over Jesus' death. Here they are on Sunday morning having witnessed what happened on Friday as their, as their leader, as the one that they had placed their hope and trust and belief in. They've seen him crucified. They've watched him die. They know he's been laid in a tomb and they are distraught in every way. In their conversation, they even say, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he was the one that our people have long been waiting for. We had hoped that he was going to be the one that set us free. We had hoped that he was going to be the new king. We had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped. And now we find ourselves in the utter depths of despair. And not only that, they're confused. They're bewildered. They've heard the report that Jesus' tomb is empty. And it doesn't make sense to them. They're like, who would take his body? Who would do this to us? Who would stop all of our ability to be able to, to, to honor his life and to practice all of our customs around death and to mourn? They're disoriented. They're confused. They're downcast in every way. And we're all familiar with those feelings. We've all experienced those very feelings at some point in our lives. We know what unexpected loss feels like. We know what it means to suffer great disappointment. We've had moments in our life where everything that we were hoping for just seemed to shatter or slip through our fingers. For some, life feels like a series of that, a series of one disappointment, one loss, one unmet expectation after another. I know my life has felt like that in so many ways, going back to my mom being hit head on by a drunk driver when I was six and living her whole life with chronic pain and all that comes along with that. To my parents' separation and divorce when I was in high school. To the number of breakups with girls who I had really thought, like this was going to be the one. And then they thought very differently about the relationship than I did. For Sarah's and my own marriage and the work that that takes and the crisis that almost ended our marriage early on for the disappointment that came when our first child was lost through miscarriage, through the number of times where a job just didn't go the way that we thought it was going to. Life can feel like one thing after another piling up on top of one another. We know what these disciples felt. So we can identify with them as they're walking on this road. Luke 24 says, on that same day, on that Easter Sunday morning, the two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. But they were prevented from recognizing him. They were prevented, unable to see that this is Jesus. The second story is found in John chapter 20, 
It includes a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Magdalene's not her last name. She's from the town of Magdala. And so then they make that their last name. So take whatever town you were born in, add an E-N-E in the end of it, and now that's your new last name. I am Jason the Garnerian, which sounds awful when you say it out loud in public. Like, we need to pray for you after the service. Magdala was this little town on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Mary was a part of a group of women who followed Jesus and financed his ministry. She herself had been set free, we're told, from seven demons. Seven in Hebrew understanding is a way of talking about whole or complete or entirely. Her entire life was marked by the fact that she was demonically possessed, that every part of her life had been captured, been taken prisoner. There was no part of her life that was the way that she wanted it to be. She was suffering severely, entirely. Some traditions claim that she was a prostitute, but we actually have no evidence of that in the scriptures. What we do know is that she was imprisoned in her own body and isolated from every form of community that she could possibly long for or imagine. Like so many of us, she found herself in a situation that she felt unable to escape. Hers was because of the demonic oppression that came into her life. And for so many of us, it's about other things. But we know what it's like to be stuck, to feel like there is no escape, there is no way out. We are just trapped. And then the loneliness that comes along with that. The loneliness of feeling so isolated from everyone because of the experience or experiences that we're having. She was living in that space and then Jesus showed up in her life. Jesus comes and he finds her and he rescues her and he restores her. And out of that deep gratitude and belief, she devotes her entire life to him. Following him, financing him. Only to see him crucified. Died. Buried. And so she comes early in the morning on Sunday. And she finds his tomb empty. She was planning on coming and continuing all the customs, but all of that's now been cut off as well. She's been cut off from her Lord and cut off from any ability to even serve him after his death. And she's overwhelmed by grief. She's sitting on the outside of the tomb and she's weeping. And she looks inside and she sees these angels and she has a conversation with them. And then as soon as she had said something to them, she turned around and there... Right there, she saw Jesus standing there. But again, she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you have put him. And I'll go and get him. I'll go and bring him back. Here in both of these situations, we have people who know Jesus. They know Jesus intimately. They followed him. They've listened to his teachings. They have been a part of his life for years. But when the resurrected Jesus appeared to them, they don't even recognize him. Just a few days before, they could have picked him out out of any crowd. They could have said, there, right there, that is Jesus, the Nazarene. That's Jesus from Nazareth. He would have been easily recognized. But now all of a sudden... They can't. I think this reminds us or teaches us that Jesus often appears to us incognito. 
he often appears to us in ways that we don't quite expect. When Jesus comes to us, when Jesus shows up in our lives, it's in ways that are not always clear, in ways that are not always apparent, in ways that are often hard to recognize, that are easy to miss or easy to mistake, and certainly don't meet our expectations. In fact, the way that Jesus comes to us in so many ways, it actually makes it easier to doubt than to believe sometimes because he's coming to us in hidden ways, in ways that are easy for us to miss. But when we look at the whole canon of Scripture, this is how God shows up over and over again. Abraham and Sarah are sitting at their tent. Abraham's on the outside, and he sees three strangers coming to him. He's like, come on, let's throw them a feast. He welcomes them, and then suddenly realizes these aren't just three people, that God himself has visited him. Elijah is running away in fear for his own life and he goes out into the wilderness and there's an earthquake and there's a fire and there's a wind and he's looking for God and all of these big things. It says, but God wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire and he wasn't in the wind. And then there came the sound of a gentle whisper, a still small voice. And Elijah realized, oh, God's now showing up to me in ways that I didn't expect it. In our Old Testament reading, Jacob goes to sleep in a place, and he has a dream, and he wakes up, and he says, surely God was in this place. And I didn't know it. I completely missed it. I was unaware. Here the disciples are walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away in utter despair. They have lost their faith. We had hoped They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from everything that they've known. In our language, we say they're in the middle of deconstructing their faith. We had hoped, we had thought, we had believed, and nothing has actually turned out the way that we thought. And Mary is sitting isolated. She's alone. She is immobilized in grief. And Jesus comes to both of them. And they don't even know it. They don't know that it's him. But he's there. Maybe today, or maybe for all of us at various points in our life, we know what it's like to feel distant from God. Or to feel like God is distant from us. We carry around our own disappointments with God or our disappointments with his people or the people that were supposed to represent him, whether it's church leaders or the church in general or our parents or others that had taught us about Jesus and then lived in ways that were completely incompatible with him. We carry around not only disappointment, but hurt and pain from the abuse and the neglect and the other things that happened in our lives. And so we find ourselves in so many moments struggling with doubts or even saying, I don't believe any of this anymore. But perhaps when we are in those places, Jesus is closer than we realize. Perhaps he's at work in ways that we're not even aware of. Perhaps Jesus is even at work in the fact that you're here today. That somebody invited you or that you found out or that you came or that you came back and said, okay, God, what is going on? And maybe the invitation for you is just to keep kind of showing up in these kinds of places, to keep coming back. Or maybe you heard about Alpha and you're like, actually, I need a place like that. 
I need a place to talk about all that's happened to me and all the doubts I have in God because of my story. The place that that can be held and I can raise those questions. Have a place to be heard and to be loved and cared for and prayed for. It's possible that Jesus is coming to you. That Jesus is coming for you and you just don't know it yet because he's coming incognito. The disciples on the Emmaus Road, they interestingly mistake Jesus for a fellow traveler. They're walking along on a long Sunday morning walk, and someone comes up behind them. They're like, ah, I guess you're going to Emmaus too. Must be a popular place today. (laughs) They're walking along, and they mistake Jesus for a fellow traveler. I wonder if this is exactly how Jesus wants to be seen. That he wants to be seen as a fellow traveler. They were walking along. They were talking about all that happened. And Luke 24, 15 says, while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. Jesus joined them on their journey. The story of God, the story of Jesus is the story of God with us. He is a God unlike any other. Jesus is the God who became human in order to be with humans. He actually wanted to join us in every way, and he has. He's joined us in every aspect of our humanity. He gets us. The book of Hebrews says that he fully sympathizes with us in every way. He knows what it's like to be human. He understands our frailty. He understands our grief. He understands our aches and our pains, our hunger and our longings. He even knows our temptations. Jesus is our fellow traveler. He's the one who goes with us, and he's the one who goes before us. Jesus comes alongside. He joins us in the journey, and he invites us to walk with him to follow him in learning how to live in the kingdom of God. And the whole time, he goes with us. We are never alone. He is always with us, though sometimes we just can't see it. And not only does he go with us, but he goes before us. He has gone before us in life. He goes before us in death. And he goes before us in resurrection. Our New Testament reading said he is the first one to be raised from the dead. One of my professors says, Jesus' history is our destiny. What has happened with Jesus will happen with us. In our life, he is our guide. And in our death, he is our hope. Jesus is our guide, and our hope is the very resurrection of the dead. He's our fellow traveler in every way. Mary, on the other hand, mistakes Jesus for the gardener. It's early in the morning. She's in this garden tomb. Who else would be there at sunrise? Who else would be there that early? And again, I wonder if this is exactly how Jesus wants us to see him. If it's how he wants to be seen. In John's account of Jesus' death and resurrection... He is emphasizing over and over and over again what day of the week it is. It's like we're going to get confused from one paragraph to the next if it's Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And so he keeps emphasizing the day of the week, the day of the week, the day of the week. 
I think it's a cue that John wants us to read this part of the story with Genesis 1 in mind. He wants us to read it in light of the creation story. See, Friday is the sixth day of the week. It's the day in which God made humans, where God made humans, and he made them in his image, in his likeness. He made them divine. He made them royal. He made them to reign, and he placed them in a garden to live. It's also the day when God finished all of his work. And in John's account, we hear Pilate pointing to Jesus and talking to the crowns and saying, here's the man, here is the king. We hear Jesus on the cross echoing his father saying, it is finished. Joseph and Nicodemus, they take Jesus down off the cross and they place him in a garden tomb. On the seventh day, nothing happens. It's Sabbath. It's a day of rest. This is the day that Jesus lay in that garden tomb dead. But on the first day of the week, on the first day of creation, that's the day when light shattered the darkness. It's the day when life triumphed over all chaos. And once again here on the first day of the week, we're introduced to the creator, the gardener. The light of the world has re-entered the world and new creation has begun. It's been birthed inside of the old creation. Jesus here, the gardener, is coming to make everything new, to make the world new, and to make us new. Jesus in his resurrection has birthed new creation. He's birthed new creation. He's given us a new beginning through the forgiveness of sin. He's given us a new family through his work in uniting us all to him. He's given us new resources by placing the Holy Spirit of God in us that we might actually live life in a different way. He has given us new opportunities. He's set us free from the power of sin and death and hell and the grave. He has brought new creation to us. And new creation is not just something that we have to wait for. It's something we actually get in on now. And new creation is already here. He's already making us new by the Spirit. Second Corinthians, Paul says it this way. He says, so if anyone is in Christ, that person, you and me, that person is a part of the new creation. The old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. New things have arrived. What new things are arriving in your life because of the resurrection of Jesus? In both stories, both the disciples and in Mary, they eventually recognize Jesus. Jesus doesn't stay hidden to them the whole time. Eventually, they realize it's him. For Mary, it happened when Jesus spoke to her. It happened when Jesus called her by her name. John 20, 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to that voice that she knew so well. And she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, my Teacher, she knew it was him. For the disciples, it happened over a meal. After they got to the end of their walk, they invited Jesus in to share a meal with them. And as Jesus does so often, he took over the scene. 
He goes from being the guest to being the host, and he eats with them. And afterwards, he took a seat at the table, and he took bread. And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sights. <laughs> Again, these stories are a bit strange. But Jesus made himself known. For the disciples, it happened right in the middle of their despair. For Mary, it happened right in the middle of her grief. This is what Jesus does. Jesus makes himself known to us. He meets us where we are. He comes to us where we are. And often he comes to us in the places of real pain in our lives. For me, he showed up in my life when I was a teenager. When my life was feeling like one loss after another. One string of losses. From my cousin's death to my parents' divorce to so many other things that felt not only that my family was unraveling, but life was unraveling in every way. I didn't know which way was up anymore. And then my neighbor, my boss at the supermarket, my ex-girlfriend's dad, one guy, all three of those roles. <laughs> I sit down at his kitchen table and he opens a Bible and he begins to tell me about Jesus. My whole life changed. God showing up incognito in a neighbor and I wasn't aware of it. He appears incognito and hidden in mysterious ways, but eventually he makes it possible for us to see and to believe. The disciples in that moment, as Jesus revealed and disappeared, then they actually just turned around. They said, actually, we're not going there anymore. We're going back to Jerusalem. We're going back to Jesus. And they began that seven-mile walk back to Jesus, finding their faith being reconstructed, beginning to believe again in order to tell others about the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. When he appears to Mary in the midst of her situation, she calls him teacher and Lord. She devotes her whole life to him once again. Where are you today? If you were to think about where you find yourself this morning, where do you find yourself in life? And is it possible that Jesus is with you? That he is coming alongside of you? That he's here to comfort you and to guide you? Is it possible that he's the one who is going before you and leading you into hope, leading you into restoration, bringing things back to you? Is it possible that he's in some way making things new in you, that he is restoring your life in some way, bringing things back from the dead, and that he is making himself known to you? Is it possible that God is at work, that Jesus is here? And we're not fully aware of it. Perhaps you're here today, and as you look back on your life, or you look around at your life right now, and all the things that led you to be here today, you can sort of look at it and say, like, yeah, <laughs> he's been at work, and I can see it now. And maybe today, because you see, you're ready to believe. In just a few moments, we're going to come to the table. 
and we're going to say a prayer of confession. It's a way of saying how desperately that we need Jesus. And we confess our faith in him. And then we come to the table as a way of saying, I choose Jesus. And maybe to you that today that's you. Saying, I'm ready to follow the one who goes with me, the one who goes before me. I want to be with my fellow traveler, the God who comes to be with me. And I want him to turn my life into a garden, to take whatever has died and begin to bring it back to life again. I place my trust in him and him alone. Perhaps today that's not you. Like, I'm just here. <laughs> it's okay. We're so grateful that you're here. But I would ask today, would you be willing to say one prayer? Would you be willing just to say to Jesus, Jesus, if you're real, would you make yourself known to me? Would you show up in my life? And would you take the risk of maybe living with some holy curiosity that maybe Jesus actually wants to make himself known, that he's showing up in your life in some way? Miss Sarah comes to lead us to the table. If you're a follower of Jesus today, somebody who's been following him a long time, but maybe find yourself in a place like Kaylee found herself in a few years ago, walking through whatever it is that you're walking through. And what you need to be reminded of today is that Jesus is your fellow traveler. He has come alongside of you. He is with you, and he is guiding you into resurrection hope. And as you come to the table today, Maybe your prayer is that as the bread is blessed and broken and given, that your eyes would be opened again. Or maybe you find yourself in grief and you need to hear the voice of Jesus speaking your name again. Maybe your prayer is, Spirit of God, would you speak to me today? Would you make yourself known? Or maybe you know there's an area of your life that needs to be set free, that needs to be made new. Would you ask Jesus to do that today as we come to the table? Whatever that prayer is, would you take a moment now and ask Jesus before we come to the table? No matter where we find ourselves in relationship with Jesus, we always begin this part of receiving from God by taking communion with a confession, which is essentially just a way of acknowledging I'm, I'm not God, I'm a person, you are God. Coming open-handed again. So if you are ready to make that confession, you can follow along with the words on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. It's my joy on this Easter morning to announce the good news. Words that are true, not because I'm saying them, just 
because of what God has done. Would you open up your hands again and receive the mercy of God? Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And this proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who've been raised to new life, would you stand and greet those around you, share the peace of Jesus with one another. As we come back together, the words to our liturgy will be on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. right and it's also a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you father almighty because you formed us in your image you breathed your life into us when our love failed your love remained steadfast when we were unfaithful you sent your son jesus to be faithful on our behalf on the night that he was gonna be handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and after he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which I'm giving for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup of wine and after he had given thanks he gave it to them and he said drink this all of you this is my blood of a new covenant it's shed for you for many for the forgiveness of sins and whenever you drink it remember me and so God, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith. Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. As part of the priesthood of all believers, would you stretch out your hands as we bless these elements and invite the Holy Spirit to meet us here in this simple act of receiving communion. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us here on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, would you make us one with Jesus, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes back in final victory and we see him face to face, amen. I'm gonna invite the servers to come up now.
These are the gifts of God. They are given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. If it's your first time here, you can scan this QR code that's gonna be shown on the screens that gives some directions about how to receive, or you're welcome to just watch what everybody else is doing. If you're unable to come forward, please ask someone to bring the elements to you. Let's worship together as we come to receive the mercy and love of God this Easter morning.